ahead and take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter twenty one. I've this message I'm going to preach this morning, it's actually probably going to end up being transformed into four different messages. I was planning on preaching all this at once, but as I was studying it, I was finding so many things that I wanted to share. And I didn't think y'all wanted a two-hour message this morning. I don't know, maybe you do. Y'all want two hours? No, I, I, I won't. I won't do that to you. I know you got. You might have a roast in the oven, or you know, you got to. We got to beat the Methodists to the chicken house, as I always say. So we uh, we will uh, we'll break it up into a few messages at least. But um, first, I want to read a story to you in First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. But before we do this. Um, you know, sadly, uh, and I guess, well, it should be expected. You know, we're, there's a lot of false doctrine that's creeping into churches today. I mean, it's it's getting out of hand. And I mean, in fundamental Baptist churches, people who came from good churches, good ministries, are falling for a lot of false doctrine that they they should know better. And I really believe one of the biggest causes of this. It, and, I, and I'm not preaching against the internet. I like the internet. There's good things about the internet, but I do think it's because of the internet. And you know, back in the day, one of the great things about a church was, you know, you had when you have an assembly of believers. Okay, there's some accountability there. And so, if some guy comes into the church and he starts spreading false doctrine, there's plenty of people there in the church that can call, that can call him out. And the Bible teaches how we're supposed to deal with that. If somebody comes in and they're bringing false doctrine, you know, you're supposed to, you know, first you kind of try to privately deal with it. And uh, if they don't straighten up, you're finally you got to mark them. And eventually, it can come to a point where you have to even cast them out of the church. And that's another message for another day. But churches have always done that throughout the ages. And but now a lot of these guys who have probably been thrown out of many churches before. They have their own internet ministries where they go and they preach on the internet and then they find all these people out there that uh, agree with them. And you know, you can find somebody, you can make up anything you want. You can make up your own religion. And if you put it on the internet, you'll be able to find some followers. Okay, There's a lot of goofballs out there. And the great thing about a church, it's a visible body of real people that you can talk to. And you do not want to get your doctrine from some guy that you don't know that just preaches on the internet. You want to get it from a real church, a real assembly of believers where there's people that not only can hold each other accountable, but even hold the pastor accountable. And the way it's supposed to work in a church, even if the pastor gets out of line and he's not teaching things from the Scriptures right, the church can deal with them. Okay? And, but these people out there, there's no, you know, there's nobody that can touch them. But sadly, preachers are listening to these people because they're too lazy to study, you know, to study the Bibles themselves. And they're listening to these people and they're bringing these teachings in the church. And people in the church are so illiterate when it comes to the Bible these days. They're falling for it. And it's destroying churches. And so I, um, I want to talk about some things that, uh, are there good things, things that we're supposed to teach, things that churches have taught for years, but things that are under attack today in churches. And specifically what I want to talk about, are, I guess, the, are New Testament sacrifices. New Testament sacrifices. And for, But we're going to go to the Old Testament first, and I want to show you something about sacrifices. Because a lot of people, they don't like that word sacrifice. They don't like the term sacrifice. But let's look at First Chronicles chapter 21. 
where we see an important lesson when it comes to sacrifices. In verse 18, this is right after the story where David numbered the people. He was not supposed to do that. God was mad. God sent an angel. And as a result, many people were killed. And it says in verse 18, "...then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord that thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. David wants to offer a sacrifice to God to stop this plague. He's wanting to offer a sacrifice. Okay? And so he needs this land that Ornan has. And he says, I want to buy it from you and I want to buy it at the full price. Okay? You know, Brother Wes, have you ever had anybody when they're wanting to buy land come to you and say, hey, I want to make sure I pay the maximum amount for this place? Yeah, don't you wish it worked that way? But they don't. They always want to, you know, they want the bottom, right? They want the lowest they can get. No, nobody does that. But David did that, and there's a reason for that. And then it says, "And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all." So Ornan's like, "Here, David. Hey, yeah, I want you to stop this plague. You can have the land." You can have the sacrifices. I'll give you the animals. David, I will give you everything that you ask for. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offering without cost. For So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword again in the sheath thereof. And at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. So notice that David, he said, I cannot give a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. Because here, here's the thing, if it doesn't cost you anything, then it's not a sacrifice, is it? For it to be a sacrifice, there has to be a cost. It has to cost you something. And obviously, we don't do animal sacrifices today, do we? We don't do those. We are specifically commanded in the Scriptures not to do animal sacrifices today. And we don't. And we never will do animal sacrifices. But you know, there are sacrifices that we see in the New Testament that we're supposed to do in the New Testament. And today, because we don't have the Old Testament sacrifices, it's like people have taken that and they have this attitude that Christianity, following Christ, it doesn't cost anything. It shouldn't cost you anything. When it comes to church, you know, church shouldn't cost anything. Uh, you know, there's listen, there's there are sacrifices. As Christians, we don't ever have to sacrifice anything. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the sacrifice for our sins. I never have to give up anything. And let me tell you something. When it comes to sacrifices for your sins, there is no other sacrifice other than the blood of Christ. I'm 100% with you right there. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, Hebrews 2, a lot of these things I'm going to be talking about, uh, Hebrews is probably one of the most misused books out of the Bible. 
when it comes to people trying to throw everything from the Old Testament out. I mean, literally, every, I mean, people are just wanting to. It's like they just want to tear the Old Testament out of the Bible, and we're not supposed to do that. But Hebrews chapter ten verse fifteen says, "Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that He said before, this is the covenant." that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put My laws into their hearts and in their minds while I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. See that? Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Okay? No more sacrifices for sins. Don't you try sacrificing anything for your sins. There are no more sacrifices for sins other than what Jesus Christ did. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins." Now, this verse right here is one that many people will use to say you can lose your salvation. That after you've received truth, if you fall away, if you apostatize or whatever, I mean, there's no more sacrifice for sins there. You are done for. But I'm going to show you that's not what it's talking about. Verse 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye... Shall, be, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Okay, now... Most people that are preached this stuff where they try to throw the Old Testament out, they will use the first part of this passage that I read where it talks about, hey, you know, Jesus Christ paid the sacrifice for your sins. If you've been, if you've been saved today, hey, you can boldly approach the Father. You can have confidence. You can know that you're saved. I mean, you can go to bed tonight in full assurance that if you died, you are going to go to heaven. There's no doubt about that. There's no more sacrifice for your sins. You are saved. Jesus Christ paid that sacrifice. But then it goes on and he talks about, he's talking about those who are saved. If they sin willfully after they've received the knowledge of the truth, okay? And when we sin, okay, we don't sin in the Spirit. That which is born of God sinneth not. We sin in the flesh, don't we? And there are plenty of scriptures that show for a believer there is punishment in the flesh when we sin. Okay? And that, and I'm not going to take time to go to all the scriptures for that, but there's plenty of evidence. And this passage right here is evidence of that. And so, me as a saved person, if I go and I willfully sin, I know the truth. I know the right thing. I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit in me, and I just go and I sin anyway. I go and I, I kill somebody. Okay, I go and I steal something. I know better. 
The Bible says there's no more sacrifice for sin in that case. And it doesn't mean that I'm now not going to go to heaven, but what it means is now God is going to deal with me. Okay? I don't have a sacrifice that I can do to make up for that sin. I can't do something to make up for that life I took. I can't do something to make up for that, you know, what I stole. I stole. I shouldn't have done that. I knew better. And then it says, that verse says, vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense. Saith the Lord, the Lord shall judge his people. If you're saved, are we not one of his? And he will judge us. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I'm sorry, folks. When you just say, you know what? I don't care what God says. I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. And you sin willfully when you know the truth. There's no more sacrifice for sins. You're in trouble with God. Okay, Now, you're going to go to heaven. But on earth, you are in trouble with God. And there are many references we can go to to prove that. But once again, when it comes to the Spirit, it's saved. There's no doubt, there's no doubt about that. There's no more sacrifice that can be done for sins. Jesus Christ paid the sacrifice. So if on earth, okay, I'm saved. If I go on and I sin, Jesus is going to die on the cross for me again. There's no sacrifice that I can offer up. I'm just in trouble with God. I'm going to have to deal with whatever I have done. And a lot of people like to think that they can do whatever they want and there's no consequences for their sin. No, there are consequences on this earth. Okay? And so, uh, go to, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. There are no more, we saw that. There are no more sacrifices for sins. Jesus finished that. Okay? But there are other sacrifices that we can offer. These are not to get us into heaven. Okay? These do not save us. These sacrifices do not make up for sins that we have done after we are saved, but at the same time, they are sacrifices and they are good and they are pleasing to God. Let's look at what these are in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. Okay, Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. Once again, it's pointing that out. And it's, you see that throughout Hebrews. Then verse 14, For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We don't have... Before, they took all the sacrifices to Jerusalem, didn't they? They took their offerings to Jerusalem. We don't have a city headquarters. Okay, we don't have a Baptist Vatican, do we? We don't have. We don't take our offerings and sacrifices to Rome, do we? We don't have a headquarters on earth. We have a headquarters, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. But then, verse fifteen: By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Okay? Notice this. It says, let's offer the sacrifice of praise. And there's really, and there's three sacrifices mentioned in here. And it says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. 
For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased to do good. Good works. Okay? That's, that's another one we're going to talk about. These are good. They're sacrifices. Some of the good things that we do, they are. They're a sacrifice. They're a challenge. They cost us. And those sacrifices don't save us, but they do please God. And then it says, but to communicate with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. What does that mean to communicate? Right there. Well, that word communicate, it basically means to participate. And it's a word used a lot in the New Testament in reference to giving. Okay? When you give, if, when you put your tithes and offerings into the offering here at the church, you're communicating. You are contributing to the work of the Lord with God's people. That's called communicating. Okay? And we see that uh, many times in the Bible. Um, go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And what I want to focus on today, because we don't have time to focus on all of these, but one New Testament sacrifice that we have that's mentioned, it's specifically called a sacrifice, and that is the sacrifice of giving. Okay? And specifically, we use the term tithing quite a bit as a term you'll hear. And you know, I'm going to talk about that, and don't, don't freeze up on me. I don't talk about tithing that much. I don't talk about giving that much. People act like people are always saying, I'll preach as they preach on tithing all the time. No. People just get convicted all the time because we do pass the offering plate all the time. And they get convicted every week. But it's rare that most preachers say anything about it. And if you don't think it's necessary, then why do you get convicted? It's because people know. But anyway, I'm going to show you some things. and I'm going to share with you some of the lies that are being told about tithing that are just absolute lies and prove from the Scripture that's wrong. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 it says, "Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction." There's that word again, communicate. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He was talking, he was trying to raise money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. We see him uh, reference that in many of his writings. It says, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Talking about sending money. And he said, I'm thankful that you did that. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. When these churches got together and they gave money and they sent it to Paul to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, it was a sacrifice to them. In one of the other, um, one of Paul's other writings, he mentioned how they gave out of their deep poverty. These people were in deep poverty and they gave anyway to the work of the Lord to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And this, I mean, Paul was he was motivated by this. He, they had motivated others. Their zeal had provoked other people by their when they saw these people were able to give that are in deep poverty. Those who were doing better were motivated to sacrifice themselves. And whenever you give, it is a sacrifice. It doesn't help you get into heaven. I don't care. I don't care how much money you put in that offering plate. It will not help you get into heaven. Okay. I don't think anybody says that. I don't think anybody claims that. But let me tell you something. It is a sacrifice. 
it does apply today, and it is well-pleasing to God. We see how it was a sweet smell. There were many um, sacrifices they did in the Old Testament where they would, offer, they would burn these odors and incenses and things, and it offered a smell up to God that was pleasing to God. And God said, when you give of your money, I mean, it's an offering. It's a sweet-smelling savor. It pleases God. And tithes and offerings are sacrifices that please God. But there's a lot of, a lot of teaching going out there today, even creeping into Baptist church, that tithing was strictly an Old Testament thing and is not a New Testament thing. And it blows my mind because I, I listen to these people on there and they act like they all got this from studying their Bible. But they didn't. They got it from copying another internet guy because they all say the exact same thing and they say it with such conviction because they trust the other guy and these are things that are just factually wrong. I can show, I'll, and I'll, I'll share you some of these things that they teach. But first they teach that tithing, that was an Old Testament thing. That was something from the Old Testament law. But let me ask you a question. When was the law given? Who was it given to? Moses, right? Alright, well let's go to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Yes, tithing was definitely in that Old Testament law. But notice, there was tithing before there was an Old Testament law. It says in chapter 14, verse 18, "...and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he saw the priest of the Most High God." He was a priest of the Most High God. "...and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all." Abraham tithed everything he had to Melchizedek. And that's important too. This was Melchizedek, priest of Salem. He was a priest before God instituted the Levitical priesthood. He, Moses tithed before God ever gave the law of tithing. He gave it specifically to Melchizedek. And then also in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 22, this is also before God has given the law. Talking about Jacob, and he said, and this is Jacob speaking, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Okay? Tithe just means a tenth. Jacob did it before God even gave the law in the Old Testament. There's, there's many things that we still believe today that God gave before the law. For example, the death penalty. Okay? That was something that God instituted before the law. He instituted it right after the flood. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Now go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, you can say, well, that's still Old Testament. That was still before Jesus Christ. But let's look at what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now Melchizedek, we're not going to take the time to go through all the references to Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews, but tell him I'm busy. <laughs> but uh, uh, Melchizedek or Jesus Christ, the Bible says he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Notice Jesus did not descend from the Levitical priesthood because people will tell you tithing was also something that was for the Levites, for the Levitical priesthood. Okay, but Melchizedek he was before the Levites, wasn't he? And the Bible says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right, so look at what. Let's continue reading. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all 
First being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. So right here where it see it's comparing you know, Melchizedek and Christ. It's talking about the Levitical priesthood and how these were priests that die. Well, now we've got a better priest. We have a better than Melchizedek. We have a better priest than the Levites. We have Jesus Christ. And the tithing, I believe today, is just as appropriate as it ever was. God, they tithed before the law to Melchizedek. And today, after the law, we have something better than Melchizedek. One who never dies. And honestly, how else? what better way to give to the work of the Lord than through the New Testament church? And I'll show you why that's appropriate here in a little bit. But people tell you too that tithing's not even mentioned in the New Testament. But the thing is, it's mentioned right here in Hebrews chapter 7. So I don't know where they get that from. But Jesus Christ, He's our high priest. The tithes go to Him and His work. Okay? So, I mean, do people think that there's no work of the Lord going on today? I mean, obviously, what is the work of the Lord today? Anybody? It's the Great Commission, right? We're supposed to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Okay, That is the work of the Lord. How are we supposed to get people like the Johnson family to other countries? It, you know what it costs? It costs money, doesn't it? It costs money to get them over there. You know, to print, get Bibles printed, to get materials printed. It costs money. We see in the Bible too, and we'll talk about this here in just a moment, that those who do the work of the Lord, okay, we need people who their entire focus is the work of the Lord. And you know what? They've got to eat too. You know, I've got to eat. I've got to have something to survive on. And today, I believe the way that is done, it's through the tithes and offerings, through sacrifices that are completely appropriate and important. The pastor is supported by the tithes and offerings of the people just like the Levites were. Look at Numbers 18, verses 23 and 24. Numbers chapter 18, verse 23 and 24. I'm only going to scratch the surface on a lot of these verses, but it says, "...but the Levites which shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance." The Levites, they were one of the tribes of Israel they didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own farms. All they lived on was the work of the Lord, offering the sacrifices. What they did, it didn't produce anything physically. It didn't produce food. 
but they needed to survive, didn't they? They needed to eat just as much as all the other tribes did. They needed to live and survive. And so God had all the other tribes tithe so the Levites could survive. Okay? I mean, it just, it just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And you know, we all believe in doing that type of thing for our soldiers. And the Bible talks about that too in the New Testament. Hey, nobody, we don't expect anyone to go to war at their own cost. Okay, we ought to pay those people. We ought to take care of those needs. And, uh, and so just like the Levites were supported by that, I believe the pastor is supposed to be supported that way too. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 9. And let's look at what the Bible says here. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 9 says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Does God take care for oxen? Well, wait a minute. This isn't talking about a pastor. This is talking about a cow. This is talking about an ox. Now listen, people too that try to throw out the Old Testament, they don't realize, you know how many things there are like this in the New Testament where they reference Old Testament principles and they apply them to New Testament practices? They applied paying the preacher to the verse in the Bible that says, don't muzzle the ox. Why don't you muzzle an ox? Well, hey, if an ox is out doing the work in the field, to produce food for you, you don't put a muzzle over him. If he sees some food along the way, you let him eat it. You take care of your animals that are doing the work for you. The Bible says a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. If you've got an animal that's producing things for you, that's making it possible for you to eat and survive, you take care of that animal. I was going to say something about animals that don't produce anything, but I won't do that today. <laughs> I was thinking it. But it's just... A common principle. Verse 10. For saith he it all together for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt this is written. He said God wrote that for us. God put that verse. Paul said this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that God told His people to take care of their oxen so we would know to take care of God's people. Of, God's, of, the, of the minister, of the preacher. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Okay? It, I mean, honestly, do, if, if, you're, if you're getting something, okay, it's just a common thing in the Bible. If you are gaining something from someone, you ought to take care of them. You ought to pay them. We all expect, you know, we're all fine with paying a mechanic when he does work for us, right? We're all fine for paying the electrician and paying, you know, the grocery store people. We don't expect them to do these things for free, but it's like people have decided today that when it comes to the work of the Lord, everybody's supposed to do that for free. Where does that come from? Where, where does this money come from? Like I said, we don't have a Baptist Vatican that we can go get our money from. Did you know even the Catholic Vatican, you know where they get the, people send them money? They get it from tithes and offerings of the people. The Vatican doesn't produce anything physically. You know, they're not out there farming and creating jobs and things. You know, they're not doing that. They've got to have the tithes and the offerings. And that's the way it is in the church. Verse 12, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Okay? We, people are fine with paying the politicians. They're fine with paying the police officers. They're fine with paying, you know, all these other people that do things for our benefit. We're all fine with firemen getting paid. Why? How come we have a problem with the preacher? 
He said, Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait on the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay? Now, Paul said, we haven't done this. We haven't taken advantage of this because they weren't ready for it. It would have hurt them. The Corinthian church, you'll see, was not a very good church, and they weren't paying Paul. Okay? But he said, hey, this is something that is completely appropriate. This is something that it's the way that God ordained. They that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay? Now, how can we live of the gospel? You know, does that mean I'm supposed to just survive on what on this Bible by itself? Does that mean I go walk into the grocery store and say, oh, look, look what the Bible says here. I give them the gospel and they give me food. Do you think that's going to work? Do you think if the electrician, if I they call, you know, I'm not paying my bill and they call me up threatening to shut my electricity off, I share the gospel with them and they give me free electricity? No, that's not how it works. If he, if God's people, a man, are going to live of the gospel, that means there's something coming in for the work of the gospel. And what else would that be? And yes, there's not 50 verses in the New Testament that specify tithes and offerings, but the principle is there throughout the Bible. And there's no other way to do it. Should we do like the congregational church that we talked about last week that got their money from the state, but the Baptists went to jail because they refused to pay taxes that were going to go to paying congregational ministers? No, we don't do that. It comes from God's people. Through the tithes and offerings, the principle is throughout the Bible. Um, Acts chapter 6. Go turn over to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. The work of the Lord is so important. I know today, Americans are acting like, no, it's no big deal. We don't need to worry about it. But it's important. It says, "...in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, Is it not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You see that? It said, we need help. They didn't want to take their focus off prayer and ministering specifically in the Word, and they went and they found some men that were full of the Holy Ghost to do the menial tasks in the church. They to devote their life to that. And these guys lived of the things of the church, of the Gospel. Men like Stephen was one of them that they hired. Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church. And so obviously, for people to survive doing the work of the Lord, there has to be money coming in. And people will tell you, well, in the Bible days, okay, there was never tithing of money. That's another lie that everybody's just copying. Everybody's just copying each other. They never tithed with money. It was always with food. Okay? And I wish I had time to deal with all of these things that they, they throw out. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. I'm just going to show you that people, they're not studying their Bible to get this stuff. They're just listening to other people on the internet. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. It says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. See, seed. Yeah, what do you think church would do if you all just brought your seeds to the church? I'll tell you what I'll do in a little bit. You know, I had one guy say, if you were a taxi driver, if you just brought a bunch of gasoline and you gave that for your offering to the church, I wonder what they would do. 
I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I do with it here in a little bit. Verse 23. This is just common sense. People are just lying and people go along with it because it's what they want to hear. And it says, Now shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which He shall choose to place His name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first things of thy herds, and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. What are they going to do if you start bringing animals and giving them to the church? I know exactly what I would do. And if the way He be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set His name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money. Y'all see that? He said, hey, if, you know, it would be hard because they had to take it to Jerusalem, okay? Jerusalem was where God ended up telling them to take their offerings. And if some guy was really far from Jerusalem and he had a huge crop come in that year, it's going to be hard for him to transport 10% of his crops all the way to Jerusalem. So you know what he would do? He would turn it into money. And he would take money there. So, so much for saying tithe was never money. But here's the thing, and we're not going to take time to read the rest of it, but just this is just common sense, folks. Back then, money, that was their money, wasn't it? You know, the corn. That was how, that was how they survived. Last Sunday night, I preached a message on just balances. They had balances. They had measurements. So much corn equaled so much silver or so much gold. I mean, it was currency back then. They had a method of exchanging it. Okay? And today, most of what we you know, get for our labors is in cash, isn't it? And you know what I would do if you brought let's say if you're a farmer and you go and you harvest your big crop this year and you bring ten percent of your corn to the church, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do exactly what the farmer's going to do with the other ninety percent. I'm going to take it somewhere where we'll get turned into money and then we'll take the money for it. You know, if the taxi driver got paid, if he paid us with gasoline, if he brings us 100 gallons of gasoline here to the church, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it somewhere and I'm going to get the money for it. And so we'll, we'll take your animals, we'll take all those things, but we're going to do exactly what you do with it. We're going to go turn it into money. Because Walmart's not going to take your animals either. You go take your cow to Walmart and see if you can buy stuff with that. They're not going to, they're not going to do that. You go try to pay your electric company with that. And then here's the thing too. You know, these bozos on the internet saying that they, you know, you know, bring your gasoline. Well, guess what? Nobody pays a taxi driver with gasoline, do they? What do they pay them with? Money. Okay? That's how we exchange goods and services today, don't we? We use money. So it makes perfect sense. If you, want to bring 10% of whatever you produce, we'll go and we'll exchange it for money just like they would often do in the Bible when it was necessary. It's just, it's just common sense, folks. It's just the way things work. And here's the thing too. When tithing goes away, so will the servants. So, Brother Tom, are you admitting you're just doing this for the money? Doesn't the Bible say you know, a bishop's not supposed to do it for filthy lucre's sake? No, I'm not saying that. I don't believe a preacher ought to be in the business of being a pastor or whatever to get rich. Okay? I'm not I'm not asking to get rich. I don't think I don't think pastoring is something that necessarily uh, ought to make you rich and you definitely shouldn't be in it for that. But go to Nehemiah chapter 13. I want to show you something in Nehemiah chapter 13. 
Because it's amazing the thing, you know, while preachers aren't allowed to talk about any sacrifice people are supposed to do, it's amazing what people will sometimes expect the preacher to sacrifice. So Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10, it says, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then I, then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. And they brought all Judah, the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil under the treasuries. Why were the Levites gone? They were in the field. Why were they in the field? Because people weren't giving their tithes. And you know what happened? They got hungry. And so they had to go work the fields so they could have some food and survive. And listen, I think I got some faith, but you know what? I can only live so long on faith. I got to have food too. <laughs> I mean, isn't it just common sense? I mean, we all got to eat, don't we? It's just common sense. And so, one of the reasons too, churches today can't keep pastors around. They don't want to pay them anything. Well, listen, I love what I do, but I have six children. And I'm not rebuking you all. I believe our church does does what it can. I'm very happy with how our church does things. But I'm just telling you, it's just, this is just common sense, folks, that pastors, they have families. they got to eat. they got to have a house living. Missionaries that go over these other countries. We shouldn't expect them to go over there and almost starve to death. We shouldn't expect their kids to go over there and live in rags when we all have nice clothes. We shouldn't expect them to go live in a grass hut when we have nice houses that we live in. There's nothing wrong with them having the things that we have. They are doing our work. Whose responsibility is it to get the Gospel to the whole world? It's all of us, right? And obviously, all of us can't go to foreign countries. All of us can't be the pastor. But all of us can communicate. We can contribute in the giving of the work of the Lord. And let me tell you something, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a sacrifice. You might have to do without some things. You might have to get the 100 channel package instead of the 200 cable pack, channel package. I mean, that's tough these days, right? I mean, you know, you might have to buy generic. You know, we eat generic. Look, I eat a box of, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like Lucky Charms, but it's a generic brand. I don't even know what it's called. Generic, but yeah, it tastes just as good. <laughs> and, but, they're not magically delicious, though, like Lucky Charms. No, but listen, we okay. We we all under, this. This is just common sense stuff, and we all when when you contribute, okay, when you communicate, when you contribute, so I'm able to minister to people in the Word. I'm able to go out and do the, you know and go soul winning and lead people to Christ. You all participate in the the rewards that come with that. Paul talked about that because of the way they had helped financially. They were going to receive rewards in heaven for that because of their sacrifice. God was well pleased with their sacrifice. And people today, they want a church, they want a religion, they want everything that costs them nothing. But understand, if it costs you nothing, it's not a sacrifice. And today, in the New Testament era, in the book of Hebrews, we see that there are, that when we sacrifice, it is pleasing to God. If you go and you try to sacrifice for, to pay for your sins, God is not going to be pleased with that. There are no other sacrifices for your sins. If you get, if you go and sin this week, don't think I'll drop an extra hundred in the offering plate and that sacrifice will take care of my sins. There are no more sacrifices for your sins. Yes, we are not under the law today. 
We are not, we don't have to send people out there to, you know, watch and check and make sure everybody's given their 10% like they're supposed to. We're not going to do that. We don't have to do that. The Bible does it. The Bible says, let every man so give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Okay, so what's sparingly? Well, the Bible doesn't give a number right there. But I think if we go off of Old Testament principle like the New Testament does all the time, I think it's safe to say that that would be the tenth. Doing doing the minimum that God gave them to do. And I'm telling you right now, God is pleased with that. And these people that are trying to teach this, that no, God doesn't want that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that to go to heaven. Okay, I understand that. But, do you not want to please God? You know, I don't understand this selfish attitude because, you know, I remember the first time I started making money, I was thrilled to tithe. I've always enjoyed giving to the work of the Lord. It has always been a pleasure. I'm telling you, it's always been a pleasure to give to the work of the Lord. It's always been a pleasure to give to missionaries. It is, I, I have never in my life just thought, why don't I have to do this? This isn't fair. It, it's, it's a privilege. I'm thrilled that I'm able to do it. People too, I mean, they're on there and talking about how, oh, you know, I got saved just to find out I'm robbing God. I was made to feel bad because I wasn't, I wasn't tired. Listen, you don't get saved. God doesn't save us to make us feel good. You see, do you realize the reason you needed to get saved is because you were bad? Yeah. I mean, doesn't that make sense? That's why you got saved, wasn't it? Because you were a sinner. You were bad. And it's like, oh, I'm, I, you know, we're not supposed to let anybody find out after they get saved about things that are sins. Well, you know, some people after they get saved, they find out they're not supposed to be fornicating and committing adultery. And that, they don't like that. So, I mean, where are we going to draw the line? There's going to be all kinds of things as you study the Bible they are going to make you feel bad. But it's like the money thing. It's easy to pick on people for because all churches are just in it for the money. No, we're not just in it for the money. I'm not. I've not gotten rich off of this. I don't know. I I don't know too many preachers that have gotten rich off misery. There's some out there that have found a way. Uh, not saying that's right. I don't know that, but I'm just going to tell you right now, for the work of the Lord to be done, there has to be sacrifice. There has to be the communication, like we see in the Bible, the contributing of God's people. And with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. You're not going to get rich from it. I'm not one of these prosperity preachers. I've been tithing since I've been making money. And I'm not rich, folks. I'm not, never been rich. But you know what? I believe I'm pleasing God. I believe I'm laying up treasures in heaven. That's good enough for me. I don't think it's earned me one second into heaven. I know that. But you know what? I don't mind doing sacrifices for God. I enjoy I enjoy pleasing Him. And just like husbands and wives, you know, wives especially, you do you, you like sometimes the gifts. It's not so much what you get, but it's the sacrifice that went into it. It's the time that went into it. When you know they sacrificed, when you know they made an effort, that is pleasing. And God sees when we are putting that effort. He sees when we do the things that are a sacrifice and that are a challenge. And He knows that and He is pleased with that. And I want to continue pleasing God. And I hope you do too. So with that, let's all stand together. So New Testament sacrifice, tithes and offerings.